Hello! <laughs> well, you can tell you're in holiday mode. <laughs> sure am. <laughs> well, this is a nice little change this week, isn't it, Matt? Oh, well, you know what they say, a change is as good as a rest. <laughs> a rest is as good as a rest. <laughs> yes. A rest. Oh, I love a Which rest. Which is good as the rest. I'm, I'm having a rest. You right are. Now. So, listen, I, you popped on your own little, on the old social media, you had a little, um, a little moment. There, not a little moment, that sounds a bit dramatic, but you did pop on there, pop it, that you were having a week off. Yes. Or more than a week off. And, um,. A little, can we say the word holiday? I've said it. A little holiday. A holiday, yes. A, a holidayette. And yes. uh, you said that actually there was a surprising feeling of relaxation and sort of nourishment that you experienced. What was that all about? Uh, what have you been doing? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's less what I've been doing. It's more what I haven't been doing. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Because... Detox. I adore what. Yeah, but detox from everything, really. <laughs> um, I adore what I do, and I'm so grateful that I get to say that, and I'm proud of what I do, and I love it. And I've learned when I first started doing what I online personal training, I was very much on my phone 16 hours a day trying to help everyone, and it sent me over the edge yeah, a little few times yeah, yeah. in a bit of I wasn't managing my own mental well-being. But over the three and a half years of doing this, I've learned how to do it, and. I can dip in and out and even on holiday and it doesn't uh well no basically I'm not explaining this very well uh because I love what I do I don't mind I don't think of it so much as work all the time yes. but obviously sometimes there is lots of it which is fine but stepping away and having some time off as much as I enjoy what I do I, it's been nice to not do it I know what you mean without sounding ungrateful no it doesn't sound ungrateful at all I think you have to um Everybody needs time off, right? You know, I mean, yeah. Even emergency doctors need time off. You know, you can't <laughs> save someone's lives all the time, right? Because you'd no, be exhausted. Exactly. So I think it's all relevant. Um, yes, uh, it's it's given me thinking time as well, which I don't always get if I'm always on the go and always doing, doing, doing. Yeah, you, this has allowed me to step back and go, oh, okay, maybe actually, like just just daydream almost about what I want to do how I can help people what I can expand yeah. what needs adjusting it's been good I always Thank think you. that's a little fine uh, a little odd with mindfulness because mindfulness is essentially permissive daydreaming in a way you know it's, it's sort of <laughs> yes. you know it is supposed to be being conscious of the very moment and uh, and people are, sometimes can be dismissive about daydreaming but of all of the highly creative people and successfully mm. creative people I've spoken to, they all advocate, and if you look throughout history, the same thing, they all advocate what they call daydreaming, you know, sit in a chair looking into space. Uh, mm. And I remember quite a long time ago, I worked with a, a creative consultant from a very, very famous, globally famous um, uh, creative agency. And uh, he used to sit in a chair and just gaze out of the window. And he was being paid a phenomenal amount of money, like, like <laughs> huge amounts of money. And there was a bit of unrest um, because right. it had been leaked, not how much he was being paid, but it had been leaked that this guy he was on a lot of money, you know, he was coming in to, mm. to turn the fortunes of this business around. But he just, quote-unquote, sat in a chair staring out the window for most of the day. 
Um, and, I, and at the time, I thought it was a really interesting thing to have the confidence to do that, to be actively doing nothing. But then I realised, of course, he wasn't doing nothing. He was freeing his mind up from stress and allowing his mind to sort of, you know, drift off into spaces and came up with the most phenomenal ideas, you know, just totally left field. And it seemed effortless, but of course it wasn't... It's because he didn't have the pressure there to perform all the time. You know, he took that downtime. Yeah. So, yeah, that's yours. Very much. And, of course, to the, to the man in the street, it does look like someone just sitting in a chair staring into space. Yeah. But it's not. Yeah. There is. It's, that was in itself was the process. I love that. Well, I think it's, uh, it's important that we, that we embrace change, Matt. <laughs> I, I love a bit of change. <laughs> so where do you stand on change? Oh, oh. <laughs> So the new book I'm writing is about change. So this, this, so where I stand on it is I'm having to edit, self-edit, so that this doesn't, I don't A, railroad an episode and that B, we're not here on Thursday still talking about change <laughs> with you saying, I should have checked out 48 hours ago. Uh, banging on the door. Yes. <laughs> Housekeeping! <Yes. laughs> you really must leave now. <laughs> Um, so hey on Twitter this morning talking of hotels I read uh, a lady said uh, my best friend and her young family checked into a hotel Uh, big Mm -hmm. shout out to the couple who were um, actively having sex in the wardrobe when they checked into their room (laughs) (laughs) in the wardrobe I know right so I thought well Wait a minute, there's so much to unpack here. You know, like if it's if it's your room, you don't need to do it in the wardrobe, right? In the wardrobe. Wa- <clears throat> unless that's a thing. Well, that's another avenue, right? If it's not your room <laughs> and it was all risky, let's go do it, then why do it in a wardrobe, right? Because there's no one else in the room. Um, and if it was, if it was about, if it was like, oh, let's do it in a hotel room that's not ours, we might get caught. Don't do it in a wardrobe because, you know, no. <laughs> you might not get caught. But yeah, the wardrobe thing, I think the more you unpack it, you think, I think that's like a thing. I think I that think was there. It might be. You know, what I've always wanted to do is do it in a wardrobe. <laughs> and my mind started racing, Matt. I'm going to be honest with <laughs> of, you. Of course. And, <laughs> where did it race to? <laughs> I think we both know where it raced to. And and where I... It was the practicalities. I'm a very practical person. And so yes. I started to think about that. And it's not the most spacious or practical of places in which to perform that act, is it? Uh, no, no. I mean, a walk-in wardrobe. Oh, you literally walk oh into hang it. on. So maybe... Maybe it was. Oh, yeah, there wasn't any specifics about... A wardrobe with two doors, you know, a, no. a button hinge, hinge butt. I'm, I imagine, it, <laughs> I imagine it wasn't like a Billy bookcase from IKEA. <laughs> well, no, because it was a wardrobe, not a bookcase. But, but I see your point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I couldn't think of the, the brand name <laughs> yes. for a, for an Ike- no. Ikean wardrobe. <laughs> Ikean. Yeah, me neither. Uh, probably um, uh, Fesh House or something like that. You know. <laughs> Flesh house? <laughs> no, no, no. All right, Mike, moving on. So, so moving on. Change, well, change, 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 change very the topic. quickly. <laughs> um, I believe strongly that <clears throat> there are two cornerstones to change. Uh, there are sort of two things I really want to talk about today. One is there are two cornerstones to change um, that are pivotal 
but are, for most people, moss-covered and uh, covered in weeds and uh, other life flowers, <laughs> so you don't even know the cornerstones are there. <laughs> um, Amazing. And that is that we habituate very quickly in life. Uh, we get used to things very quickly, which is a, a really, really important and, and beneficial part of being human because it means we can adapt and evolve very quickly to life's changes. However, with mm. that comes the greatest challenge that because we get used to what we've got, we don't actively change and we don't seek to do different things because we have established comfort zones, which I think we've spoken about before, are mm. our comfort zones. We decided that they were going to be there. <laughs> we decided that mm. comfort zones were going to be here and not here or here. Um, so therefore we can move them. <laughs> so, so that's the first thing is that habituation... Our ability to adapt uh, is, is brilliant, but it's also possibly one of, if not the greatest obstacle that we face in uh, as humans. So that's one thing. But the, the second thing is that there's this strange dichotomy with change in that things are changing all the time. No two sunsets or sunrises are the same. Change happens to us all the time. Every time your phone software updates, it changes the way you interact with your phone. <laughs> you buy a new cookbook, it changes the way you cook. Uh, you, 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 we're, we're, change is happening every day all the time we change as well actively we decide different songs or different artists we're going to listen to or uh, mm. different authors we're going to read or a new TV series or whatever but when change happens to us we are inherently very resistant to it and change is one of those topics that actually most people are very resistant of they don't like change they don't seek change they don't feel comfortable going mm. through change Yet it's mm. happening all the time. And I've come up with this theory <clears throat> for the book. And that is that... <laughs> Mind-blowing. Here it is. The theory. <laughs> oh, Hit me. Oh, my gosh. That's reminded me of when John Cleese plays... Um, oh, gosh. What's her name? Um, Anne Elks. <laughs> Do you remember Anne Elks? The <laughs> no. I have a theory. In Monty Python. Yes. She's... Uh, well, it's not in the film Monty Python. It's in the sketches that they did. Yeah. And she is. Uh, she has a theory. She's invited onto the Science Today or something like that, where we discuss <laughs> science today. Um, <laughs> and Anne Elks has a theory about the brontosaurus. And she goes, <laughs> I have a theory, a theory. It is my theory, a theory of mine, of which it is mine, of a theory, which is my theory. Uh, which I would like to share you to today about the Brontosaurus, a theory of the Brontosaurus, uh, uh, of which it is mine, my theory. And my theory of the Brontosaurus, of which is a theory, is of mine, my theory, is that the Brontosaurus <laughs> is, uh, is smaller at one end than it is the other. And that is my theory of which it is mine, my theory. <laughs> and it's this big bird. I love it. You'll have to go YouTube Anne Elk's Brontosaurus or just I Anne shall. Elk's theory or something. It's great. Anyway, my theory is that in the same way that there are seasonal changes, spring, summer, autumn, winter, human beings go through the same four periods of change every time there is a change. So we go through a period of, uh, and it normally starts in the equivalent of autumn. So we go through a period right. of uh, repair and sort of stripping back. <clears throat> it then enters a period of dormancy, 
which is a sort of recovery phase. So you've stripped everything back. I'll explain this in a bit more detail. Then you enter a period of growth, which is spring, and then a period of abundance, mm. which is summer. And then, of course, it keeps cycling round. So every time you change, you enter a period of just like autumn, where you say, OK, we need to strip stuff back, cancel things, uh, cut things down, you know, remove things, whatever. There's a period then of dormancy where you have to wait for the right things to happen to get into place, for things to settle before you start to grow again. Yeah. Then obviously the growth period is obvious. Period of abundance, summer, where there's lots of lovely things happening is obvious too. And each of those phases, of course, in real life, in nature, they're fairly equal. But in mm. our life, in the human life, they can be very different. You can spend most of your time in abundance and a little bit of time in the repair and then a bit of, you know, yep. even smaller time in dormancy. And sometimes that dormant period can be days before right. you start to see growth and, and you know, the, the fruits of your labour begin to happen. However, I also believe that, and I've noticed this probably increasingly over the last five years rapidly there is a strange social pressure and an assumption that we spend more time in that abundant phase that that there is an assumption Ah. that Mm. that people's lives are should be and are in abundance all the time and that they can't be going through this period of change and that we shouldn't tell people that we're in a dormancy period or that we're in a you know period of uh, I think the active change actually happens in autumn. That was going to be my question. Which of the seasons is when the change actually happens? Yeah, I think most change happens when you recognise, doesn't it, that it needs to happen? I know that sounds obvious mm. and a bit patronising. I don't mean it to sound like that. But, you know, when there, there comes, the mechanism is, hang on a minute, something needs to change. Yeah. And from that moment, you will think differently, you will behave differently, mm. and the consequences of your actions will be different too. And so, so, for example, I'm moving house. And as soon as I had sold the house or accepted an offer on the house, my attitude mm. towards it changes. OK, oh, I don't need to take that with me. Why have I got this thing? Mm. I'll sell that. We don't need this many of this thing. You know, you, you, you go through that period of, uh, of stripping things back um, and, and preparing. You know, in autumn, you're digging, you know, goodness into the soil. You're uh, feeding things. You're cutting stuff back so that it allows the roots to grow. So that the distraction right. isn't on the abundance, but it's on you know the, the what goes on underneath the sort of behind the scenesy stuff. Preparing, yeah, the preparation. And I think that right. period of change is really important. But I don't think we talk about it enough, which is why I said to you at the beginning, "Gosh, I think this is going to be a bit difficult to do change in a little amount of time because <laughs> we don't talk about it enough, Matt. We sort of shy away from no. it, don't you think?" Absolutely. Why do you think people are resistant to change or some change? Um, Well, I I think fundamentally because it's an alien concept, it's the same way why people are resistant to talking about death or or why we grieve so badly in the West because it's not been normalised. You know, from the second we were Mm. born, there's one trajectory and one outcome that we're all heading towards, right? Uh, and people say, oh, that's really morbid. And I used to say things like, you know, how many summers do you have left? And because that puts into perspective what you do every day. Um, and yep. still people say, oh, gosh, that's a really morbid thing. It's not morbid. It's entirely normal and biological. It's factual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if you're shying away from it, it's no wonder that you're still grieving about your mum who died 20 years ago. Because you didn't normalise the fact that that was going to happen. And that what mm. we should do is celebrate life that happened 
and not grieve for something that's not not going to ever change. Um, mm. So, and that's very quickly brushed aside because I know it's not the subject of the conversation, but I know it's a lot deeper. I think people find it very difficult to accept if you don't know who you are and you don't know what your, you haven't identified your boundaries in life and you haven't identified mm. um, your own, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Your own uh, values. Values, that's good. Yeah, that will do. We'll run with that one. Um, <laughs> then. It's very difficult when something, when change is forced upon you or when you feel change happening and you're not fully in control of it, it's mm. very difficult to accept that because mm. there is an uncertainty and anxiety around the fear of the unknown. And so, oh, that's my dog. And so naturally... There's, there's the unknown. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and so naturally you're a little bit more fearful, a little bit more resistant of it. You're not yeah. all embracing of it because we need security we need reassurance. We need to know that this is going to be okay. Um, mm. I suppose it's similar to... And, of course, in, in a business sense, a lot of our listeners might be able to relate to this. If you're thinking of a new job, well, a new job is really risky too, right? Because you're moving from the security mm. that you have right now, you're being paid regularly on time for doing a job that presumably they're happy with, otherwise you wouldn't still be in the job. But you've been yeah. enticed, for whatever reason, for a different job. And, of course, what will happen is the employer will add on lots of security blankets. They'll say, of course, there's a pension scheme, and uh, we've got you know twice as many sick leave and holiday leave that you can have, and we've got a company gym, yeah. and we've got a company car. Those are all nonsense things. They're to sort of massage you and comfort you and ease the transition to make that change feel okay. Um those are classic examples, I think, of sort of pathological things that we, you know, physical things that we get mm. given to help make change feel better. But mm. the fascinating thing I'm more interested in is your job, similarly to mine, but yours in a much more literal sense and physical sense, is about change, right? People come to you yeah. without sort of saying it, but maybe mm. they do actively say it more than they would do for me. I want to change. I want to be somebody yeah. different. I want to look or feel different. And so as a person that is actively in an industry of a change industry, do you see any particular patterns with regards to change? So do you see people sort of, I don't know, asking for one particular thing a lot? Is it always about one avenue of humanity or human existence? Or do you spot anything that sort of you know, stands out? Uh, a way to dis a unifying way to describe what you're asking for is people want to be comfortable in their own skin, and that means different things to different people. And changing their physicality is usually part of that. Why we're working together sure. because that is a part that is a part of it. And we're a visual species. We see we use our eyes so much more than most ever than our other senses. So of course, what we see in the mirror and how we see and view ourselves is important. I get part of my job is helping people a be ready for that change, be ready for it's always good what happens, yes. but people aren't always prepared for, or just just their unexpected benefits. For example, are so delightful, like people realizing they can go and do that thing they didn't do before, sure. and it's not because of how they look. It's and I'm always I've talked about this before, but it's not. It's just about what doing something good for yourself allows unlocks yes, basically yes, allows yes. you to allows you to be that new person but you but i think people are but some people come to me and they think they're ready but they're not and so helping people understand that change is good 
helps people move forward. And actually, what you were just saying earlier sparked something that you, you're right. Change is happening all the time. On a cellular level, we're regenerating sure. all the time. So isn't it something like every six weeks we're a completely new, different, every cell in our body is completely died and renewed or something like that? Yeah. So we're, we're never the same person that we were yesterday because the skin cells have died and fallen off and new uh-huh. ones have grown uh-huh. again. And I think the more we all understand that change is inevitable, but change is omnipresent and ongoing, I think can reassure people that actually wanting to change isn't a bad thing and it can happen whenever you're ready to to commit to it. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that's really nice, knowing that 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 sense of control is important. You know, if change isn't right for you Mm. right now, that's okay too. Um, Yeah, you could be in the dormant phase. Exactly that. You You can ease into it. At a at yep. a pace that's ready for you, and I think that sort of maybe we should pause and come back to this in our sort of part two chat. But I think Lovely. that's the key to um, effective change. Always is that it must be at a pace that you're comfortable with, and it must be going somewhere where you have an identified sort of goal or endpoint or strategy, and that might change. Yes. That's fine. But blindly, yeah, the change could change. Exactly that, yeah. <laughs> blindly, just sort of changing stuff for the sake of it is yeah. uh, can be quite dangerous, and also it can have mental health implications as, as well for us as well. Because you you can feel lost through a period of change. Mm. You can lose elements of your identity. Um, the simplest of thing. It's difficult to think of a way to explain this unless you've been through this, but. Many people, not all, have been through a period of significant change. Not that they would necessarily think about it like that. They would probably think about it as an exciting phase um, in their house. So you might redecorate the living room. Or you might move into a new house and you've got an extra room. Uh, And you think, oh, we've got what should we do with this room? We've got a utility room now or we've got a sunroom or whatever. Or you've moved and you've got a smaller house and you think, oh, okay, we have to change up the way that we live in our space. And... If you've got, you know, completely redecorated your bedroom, new light shades, new laundry, you know, all that kind of jazz, it there's a different identity immediately to that room, right? It looks different, obviously. You know, yeah. Liquor paint, whatever. Um, and I think that feeling is a very interesting one on a micro scale. So redecorating a room and it feeling like a different room. You know, I I feel different because I identify differently with this room now because this furniture is new and we've changed it around and the way that we use it is different or whatever. Now, if you can imagine that on a global scale for all of your life, um, then that's quite a significant change that nothing at all in your life feels familiar anymore. And you very often that space is very often occupied post-crisis. So the loss right. of a family pet, the loss of somebody close to you in your family, a breakup of a relationship or whatever, because you're clutching for identity, you're clutching for comfort, for something mm. that feels okay. And it's interesting that that's our go-to. Our go-to is give me something that hasn't changed. Give me oh. something yeah, yeah, yeah. that feels familiar. But there yep. is an alternative. And the alternative is you jump and you fly and you, and you, you run straight head into this change and you look at it in a completely different way. And so I'm sort of on a mission, I think, to get people to Go think on. about change differently. Um, 
I think I want them to think about it in the same way I want people to think about death differently. Mm. And maybe my mission is thinking about things differently. I don't know. I like it. <laughs> well, that <laughs> that links, you know, when people would try and say, oh, you've changed and do it in a bad way, like yes. it's a bad reason to change. <laughs> yeah. So if ever that ever happens, I would always just say, thanks. Yes, yes. <laughs> because because who wants to say the same if you really think do about it? you always it? say it in that like, voice? Thanks, <laughs> my Southern Baptist voice. Yeah, leave your donations with Barbie Sue with the door. Don't know where that came from. Um, <laughs> Let us all know. preach at the altar of Matt. <laughs> we'll be the Boyles boys. <laughs> oh no! I mean, that's got. Let's oh. move on. Let's oh, change. Let's that. let's move on. Um, but it's change. Yes, yes. I get. This should be your mission. Get people to get comfortable with change because it happens all the time, and it's brilliant. Because staying the same is boring and rubbish, and no one, nothing, no, there wouldn't be any innovation or growth or no. development or wonder in the no. world if we nothing changed. Exactly that. Love that. Yeah. Do you know what hasn't changed? Book of the week. Book <laughs> of the week. Book of the week. <laughs> it's a shame, isn't it? <laughs> it's a shame that it no. hasn't changed. Just giving the people what they want. Just <laughs> giving the people what they want. <laughs> right, come on. Let's have your book of the week. Me. I'm excited. Okay, you know how I said a few pods ago that uh, I was bringing forth to the table the great American novel? Well, maybe I'm bringing the other great American novel to the table. Although it's actually the, the little American novel because it's very weak. Okay. Uh, but it is a classic. Even you will have heard of it. You may not have read it. The Catcher in the Rye. I have heard by... of that. Oh, right. Because <laughs> you haven't read no. it. Uh, <laughs> of course not. <laughs> by J.D. Salinger. Actually, I didn't look right. I think the fifth. It's old, isn't oh, it? Oh, four, 45. First published in America, 45. Oh. Wow. So, why is this about change? Because it's written from the perspective of a teenager, when surely our most tumultuous change period of our yeah. life. It's brilliant for lots of different reasons, partly because it wrong-foots you towards the end, and it really changes your opinion or understanding of what's been happening. And I can't... I'm not going to say any more. But it's about this journey that this teenager goes on. And the ultimate thing is he doesn't want things to change. He's, he tries to be a control freak and control everything. And part of the journey that he goes on is realising that that's not possible. Um, and it's just a brilliant. And his sister, Phoebe, is a brilliant, brilliant character, one who's even better, as a character, even better than him. But it's just, I I really, really, really recommend this is book. It, is it's it a physical journey or a... Like a metaphor, yeah, 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 spiritual. Oh, yeah, he goes on a journey from oh. he breaks out, well, breaks out or escapes from school and goes to New York, oh, basically. Wow. And it's all the things that happen there. And he tries to be grown up, and then he doesn't. And he gets all these things that he thinks he's ready for and confront him, and then he's not. Wow. Um, and it's very, uh, yeah, go on. I have more questions. Is uh, <laughs> is he a baseball you? catcher? <laughs> no, it's nothing to do with baseball. Okay, and what's the rye? Is it rye bread? It is also not rye bread. Oh. It's to do with a song or poem he hears and misunderstands as well. Oh, okay. So it's neither bread nor baseball. It's one of the most famous books in the world, isn't it? It is. It really is. It really it's is. Published by Penguin, wasn't it? Ah, oh, 
You're good. It was indeed, and still is. Yeah, it's one of the uh, literary classics. Truly is. Oh, lovely. There we go. Jez, have you got a... Have you got a B-O-T-W, as everyone's calling it? <laughs> when you say everyone, do you mean you? <laughs> I mean me. Botwa. What's your botwa like this week? What, um, why? What is it with everybody acronyms? Do you know what the other day, um, lovely Mr. Wonderful was watching a video, and they abbreviated, it was an American video, and they abbreviated... Um, <laughs> oh my god! What was the thing? I could. I said, "What the hell? Like, what is it with?" I mean, it's a big American thing. To, abbreviations. They're, they're massive in the states, um, but everyone's getting a little bit lazy. B O T W. It was something <laughs> like. Um, it was nonsensical, like uh, um, uh, the first ingredient or something, you know. And so they would say, "Now, obviously." Uh, TFI, the first ingredient, is... The, and I was like, well, I mean, if you're abbreviating it and then have to say it, you've now said <laughs> far too much already. And it was it was something that just didn't need to be abbreviated. I was like, what is, what's happening, people? <laughs> I'm thinking of setting up a commune for all the people that want to live normally, which I sh- Boo, probably should have boring, said rubbish. normally. <laughs> now... I've got two books that are relevant to today, but I know that I if mean, I do two, you will have yes. a lot to say about it. So I'm going to number them <laughs> off screen. <laughs> one and two. Uh, yeah, pick one or two. Okay. Oh, always two. Oh, I can have both. Great. So, no. <laughs> um, this is... Hoisted by my own petard. <laughs> Charles Duig, The Power of Habit. Lovely. And um, this, I always measure a good book on my shelf by how many, as you know, by how many dog ears there are. And this is a virtual puppy farm. Uh, There are so (laughs) many dog ears (laughs) in here. Um, It's it's been, it's significantly bent, this book. Um, So it's called The Power of Habit, uh, Why We Do What We Do and How to Change. Charles Duhigg... Uh, he's, I believe, a reporter, investigative reporter, yeah. Um, but he he sort of interviews lots of different people in here and looks at the science. So obviously there's something called a habit loop, uh, which is mm. why habits loop, uh, why habits work, the sort of self-reinforcing cycle that we go through. Um, it's a really, really, really interesting book. There's a lot of the sort of why and the sciencey stuff, interviews, interviews various different people. Um, but also there's some great social examples. So there's... Um, there's a whole chapter on Starbucks and how Starbucks populated everything and and why they're everywhere and how they grew massively suddenly very quickly. But also there's some really interesting things. So there's the Montgomery bus boycott um, and Saddleback Church, which is a famous um, sort of protest in, in the US. And so that chapter explores how movements happen. So how we can en masse get other people to change and think differently as well and change other people's habits. And I believe in here, give me 20 seconds to make sure, I'm 90% certain it's in this book. There's another book very similar, which is absolutely amazing as well. I think in here it explains how uh, the Colgate, I believe, other tooth brands are available until they sponsor us, in which case it's the only one you should use. Um, But... Uh, it explains how Colgate encouraged people to start brushing their teeth because pre-50s, brushing your teeth wasn't a thing that people did. 
Um, mm. And so they had to change a nation's habit to start to understand that actually, you know, brushing your teeth was really important. Um, and it explains how telling people they should brush their teeth didn't work. Also, mm. telling people they should brush their teeth because it's better for your teeth and it's better for gum disease. And we've got this kind of gum mm. disease thing going on in the US and they've got some oral um, healthcare issues. That didn't work either. But what right. did work is showing the perfect family. Mum, dad, little boy, little girl, ah. with bright, white, Ding. shiny teeth, exactly that. And so the emulation of I want to be like them was more powerful ah. to change a habit um, than it was just to say this is better for your health. And that, if nothing else, should be a lesson to all of us as to why the country that we live in is in such a mess uh, because people don't necessarily <sighs> use the right form of habit enforcing or control. I see. Um, wow. It is published, thanks for asking, by Random House. <laughs> uh, it's called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Lovely. It's a shame you didn't pick number one. Very it's good. a really good book. Never mind. You can have it next week. <laughs> you shoehorn shoe it in, I'm sure, in some way. <laughs> so what's the sort of... The, the biggest uh, barrier to change that you see in your work, Matt? Um, okay. Uh, there's... there's uh, well, pe- people coming in thinking... I, if, if you come in thinking this isn't something that's going to work, if you come in with some kind of... With any, with any kind of negative attitude... No, do you know what? That isn't it. That isn't fair because we're allowed to have doubts... And some people have said, oh, I'm not sure this is going to work, and then it works. So actually, it's not that. Um, <sighs> Would you, let's just explore that for a second. So when they say, mm. I'm not sure this is going to work, yeah. what's your belief as to where that comes from? Do you believe that where they are right now and where they're supposing or would like to be or you're encouraging them to be is so far removed in terms of mindset, physically, the the change of who they are, the identity, that it's so far away that they just don't believe that they could ever achieve that? The equivalent of saying to a six-year-old, you could be an astronaut or you could be, you know, President of the United States of America... Um, mm. I remember once saying to a a friend's child, um, what do you want to be when you're older? Do you want to be, you know, a, a policeman or a teacher or a doctor or the prime minister? And their mum mm. laughed. And I said, why is that funny? And she said, well, it's not going to be a prime minister, are they? And I said, well, why not? I said, somebody's got to be the prime minister. Why? Yeah. Why isn't it that? The best advert I saw ever in my life so far. It was on a plane. I always flick through the magazine on a plane and there was a picture of a, a little kid in a, a with big sort of pretend glasses, a plastic stethoscope and a sort of like oversized white coat, uh, you know, yeah. play pretend doctor. And it said something like um, the, the next generation of radiologists don't even know it yet or something like that. And I think, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. my God, that is amazing. You know, there's kids running around that are just kids kicking mm. sand, picking their nose, you know, whatever, <laughs> uh, yeah. pulling on dog fur, uh, uh, that are going to be the next generation of, yeah, of everything. Anything. <laughs> yeah. So that makes me really sad that your friend's 
actively in front of the child said they weren't going to be prime minister. Oh, but Matt, you see that all the time, right? I mean, everywhere you go, you see people dismissing children and telling... You know, one of the most dismissive and destructive words, I think, that exists in the human language is the word can't. Because Mm. if you tell a child they can't do something, then they stop trying, they give up. Um, and yeah. it's similarly damaging to adults as well. You know, if you tell mm. anybody, well, you, you can't do that. You know, you, you don't do that. You can't, you can't touch that. You can't have this. You can't whatever. Well, then it immediately becomes something that isn't attainable uh, anymore, right? Well, or, well, equally, some people dig their heels in and then make it. <laughs> it's all, like if you say, oh, you can't have a biscuit, uh-huh. but I want a biscuit. Uh-huh. That's all I can think about, which is why on my programs, I never say you can't. Yes. Have a biscuit. Yes. I say, have a biscuit. Yeah. Learn to live with biscuits because they're part of life. Uh-huh. I, do you know what? Just going back, I think people think, if we if they don't know the detail of, of my approach, that they they think I'm going to make them give up all food, all their night, all the nice, in inverted commas, food. I'm going to make them exercise every day, that it's going to hurt, that it's going to take over their life, that it has to take over their life to work. Because I think there's so much in the fitness industry about, oh, if you're not puking, yeah. it's not working. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like that works for one, but that works for half a percent of the population. Everyone else does need a softer, a kinder approach. So, helping people realize it's not how, and you know what we're, you know what we're like. Once you get an idea, it goes round and round. If you don't talk to someone about it, it can go round and round in your head and get bigger and bigger and more sure. vague and amorphous. Oh, the concept of exercise is something so big and terrifying that it's not something I'll ever yeah. do doesn't need to be talk to me or whoever or just do it on you go out for a walk yep. like it doesn't need to be how it's been stylized to appear yeah and that that often is a barrier to change because people think it's they've extrapolated their worst fears when it doesn't have to be that way yeah i think you're right i think that this is the challenge is that there are so many things about change that we ourselves get in the way of um but we don't necessarily identify with. We don't hear mm. the language that we tell ourselves. We don't nope. see the things we're doing that are holding us back. Um, and of course, we'll naturally gravitate towards a comfort zone. And because our cognitive bias is so powerful, our ability to convince ourselves that our opinion is the right yeah. one or what we're doing right now is of the course. right thing. That and hang out with the same people who think the same exactly as well. Exactly that. It becomes self-supporting that, well, I probably am a bit too tired today and i did exercise last month to be fair um so you know i did watch someone exercise um and uh, you know it's like those that the, i know they're flippant but they are also um their value when people say things like um uh, you know you're supposed to drink three liters of water a day um Gin is, you know, ninety percent water. <laughs> therefore, do you know what I mean? Or, or, yes. or like they'll say, uh, you know, is this is a Bloody Mary three of my five a day? You, yeah. you know that kind yes. of thing. The, the lemon in my uh, Corona. Exactly that. Yeah. Oh. But but it's interesting that um, yeah, topical beer. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, my mum will say things like, um, she'll say, oh, I've not been feeling very well, so I've started having a, a slice of lemon in some hot water in the morning um, ah, because that's good for you. I, I say, yeah, it, it is good for you. If you're just having the one, 
like <laughs> 175 mil mug of water with a slice of lemon in it a day. <laughs> it's possibly not doing anything for you, actually, but, <laughs> but, but I like the psychology that you run with there, right? And then, of course, you know, a week later... She'll say, oh, um, I'll say, well, do you want your hot water? No, 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 I'll have a cup of tea. And then she's forgotten about it. But then she'll get a little sniffle. And she'll, oh, I'll start having my hot water and lemon again. And you think, yeah, this is all, <laughs> this is all wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I feel sorry for us as a race, as a species, when we can't change as readily as I know we can. Uh, or when we don't yeah. change as readily as I know we can. Um, so, look, this is your, your your specialty. What? How can we right now here help people if they're struggling to change, big or small? What would be the number two or one or two things that we could say? Uh, wait six months and then buy my book. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, an item two. <laughs> um, Gosh, that's a really good question. Uh, I'm struggling because I'm just trying to think of the most efficacious piece of advice I can give because there's tons. Um, I think that one of the there's sort of like a sideline piece of work here, isn't there? Which is identifying what it is that's preventing you from yep. changing. I think the big assumption to make is to understand that it is probably because you don't know how to change. You you, you don't have a centred kind of grounding that is comfortable mm. enough to jump into something that's uncertain or unknown. Because, yep. and that's not pointed or accusatory, that doesn't make you a bad person. It is just that human nope. beings naturally keep ourselves safe. We sit within our comfort zones. You hear all the time about workplaces being in silos and that that's a bad thing. Well, mm. I suppose it can be a bad thing, but it is entirely normal and understandable. Human beings live in yeah. silos their entire bloody life, right? You build up this yeah. little life of comfort, you know. Uh, in the morning, I have a cup of tea, and then I, all these routines that we mm. have, you know, and your go-to cereal, and the fact that you've got 30 cookbooks in the kitchen, but you cook the same five meals over and over again. <laughs> right? We have all of these comfort routines. So the first part, I think, is an understanding of... Because raised awareness means we get a little bit more flexibility in the way that we think and feel, right? Rather than you just being yeah. very rigid, there's a sort of flexibility mm. where you think, oh, okay, so this guy said that there's actually, this is normal for, for me to be able to push those boundaries a little bit. Yeah. I then think the second thing is to decide very clearly on what the changes that you want to achieve. Uh, and that sometimes takes a bit longer. That's not something that you can just write in a journal. Sometimes that is 11 dog walks. You know, that's, I don't know, a two-week holiday doing nothing. That's a holiday away where you just let your mind... Sometimes you have to not yep. think about it and it just drifts around in your head. Other times mm. you might categorically, no, 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 I know exactly what I want. Yep. And then you work backwards because very often people try to work forwards. They say, what's the next thing I need to do? What should I do now? What should I do now? As opposed to saying, where do I want to be? And now let's work backwards to where I am now so that I can kind of chain all of those changes together. Um, Lovely. And then the third thing, this is my last thing, and then I'd be interested to hear yours as well. Um, I would say, I mean, because a bazillion and one exercises you can do, but I think it's an awful, often this is about mindset. I would say the third thing is looking at where you are right now 
understanding that you're not where you want to be mm. and then looking at the what I call the um, uh, what did I I used to give, gave this a name like the not what if but the, the there's an alternative to everything right so if you don't do yeah. this then what's the alternative if you do right. do this what's the alternative if you so what's the result of yes. any of this going to happen but if you don't do it then what if you do do it then what not so you could draw a flow chart, maybe. Yeah, I've, I've never thought, yeah. never seen that before. But like, if I do this, well, will that take me? Like, like a, an algorithm. I, yeah, 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 like work it out. Like just with two. Well, obviously, it's not always just two options. Yeah, yeah, but. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because very often you'll say to somebody, um, oh, you know, um, uh, I don't know, do, do this or, or shall we do this? And they say, oh no, I can't. Uh, mm. And I'll say, okay, so what's the alternative? Like, you, it, there's two sides to absolutely mm. everything, right? It's either going to work or it's not going to work. And if it doesn't work, what's wh- then what? Is anyone going to die? No. Well, then, should we just try it then? You know. So, yeah, yeah. whereas you very quickly get your head into a mindset where this is the decision I've made, without exploring the other yeah. one, and then exploring the consequences of both decisions. And if the consequences yes. are that there's nothing really dramatic that's going to happen, well, then you could pick either one. And if one doesn't work, we've got a backup, haven't you? Try that one instead. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a bit like, do you remember, I think, one of the, was it the testisodes? Or, or maybe um, where we spoke about how you would get movement into your life more. Testisodes, uh, yeah. And, and it could be that... You know, you could do heel raises while you're waiting for the kettle to boil, or you could. There's just loads of tiny little changes that you can make because very often it's the big yeah. changes that we're scared of, but it's the little things where you suddenly look around and you go, "Oh wow!" It's this is my last thing I'm going to say. I've realised I've spoken for loads. Of this. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> no, don't. this episode is the Jez Rose lecture on change. Uh, <laughs> um, you said to me when me? when I first started working with you as a personal trainer. After many, many weeks, and I said, you know, I, I don't know if I've really, you know, come that far or whatever. And you said, when we first started, you were lifting two and a half kilos. And now you're lifting 12 15. kilos and 15 kilos, depending on what I'm doing. He said, so, mm. y- y- you know, the, the, there is a very clear period of change that you have gone through. <laughs> but I couldn't start with 15. I could barely lift, no. to lift two and a half heaviest thing I've lifted for years was a pencil um, so, so it's a problem with being at a desk isn't it so um, I think it's those little incremental changes that you've got to embrace we all want to be you know the big change we want to see that big change but it's the little mm. block changes that get you to the big end of the you know the, the big change the result love it what are your three or nine I forget oh. how many are going. I'm going to give you one because I think that people have suffered enough today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And your three are brilliant at getting you, helping you decide what to do. But change is more than just that. It's keeping it going. So for me, it's accountability. Yeah, great. It's whether it's just, whether it's public, maybe you like, you say, like I saw on Twitter, someone said he set an auto tweet that said if you see this tweet it means i haven't got up on time and the first five people to reply to me i will venmo the paypal them 25 dollars as and obviously he, that was to make sure he got up every morning and so that tweet didn't auto tweet yeah, he could yeah. delete it every Lovely. morning uh so that's a great public accountability 
or a friend or a colleague or a personal trainer or a behavioral coach or like whoever or a partner or a parent or a kid or a dog but someone else other than you maybe not a dog (laughs) (laughs) beethoven would make you accountable yeah we miss him and digby the biggest dog in the world garfield was a cat but good knowledge the last dinosaur (laughs) i think we've gone off topic (laughs) but having that external that external connection doing it for more than just you yeah. really is powerful and like we, we are social people and I don't want people to be motivated by shame although some people are but that sort of impetus yeah. to oh I don't want to let them down yeah. I've got if I my friend says he's going to be at the gym at 7am I better be at the gym at 7am yeah. yeah. so accountability absolutely is my number one thing amazing Listen, Matt, I think we need to wrap up. We've gone on far too long. I think we And do. if we don't stop now, we won't, because there's so much more. But no. maybe, you know, this is one of the things that we could pick up, perhaps in Series 2, or in a very special podcast about change. But um, let's <laughs> do the wrap-up, Mr. Matt. Tell them where and when and how and who. Uh, well... You've already found us, so don't forget to keep finding us wherever you find your podcasts, wherever you harvest and wrangle them. But also, uh, do check out that uh, human podcast on Instagram and Twitter for loads of more extra edutaining stuff. Loads. Loads. Uh, Don't forget the, the the human playlist on Spotify. Five new songs every week linked to each episode that build into an ongoing. And as there's going to be 23... Uh, episodes that's going to be 5 times 23 135 songs in a playlist by the end of the year wow for free free zero pence no money um well no you've got to pay for Spotify but that's on you yeah. uh don't forget also the lovely human merchandise the t-shirts a touch of the bear uh, <laughs> available in Jez's lovely t-shirt shop under his house burrow down with your sharpest talents. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. Anymore. Oh, me neither. Goodbye, Matt. <laughs> Have a See you next week.